Oh, good. Uh, do that again. Check one, two. Mic check. Okay. There we go. Yeah, I, I turned think... myself up and I can hear myself now. Yeah. I hope everybody can hear us now. It's Radio Mysterioso here for July t- oh, 30th. 30th, 2017. I'm here with uh, old friend Miles Lewis, who I've probably <laughs> known that more longer than anybody else in this thing, except for possibly um, Peter Stencil and Robert Larson, who aren't really in it anymore, although they're uh, quite interested still. Have you spoken to either of the uh, founders of Excluded Middle in, 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 uh, anytime recently, Miles? Um, not voice to voice, just uh, through the old FB. Oh, okay. Ye old FB. Ye oldy timey. Um, what's the word? NSA ish uh, FB. Data collection network. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I haven't had any. I used to get comments like mad. On the Right of Mysterioso Facebook page during the show, now I never get them. Um, Carlos has disappeared. Not Carlos. Hi, hi Carlos, if you're listening. Um, who is it? Uh, Steve Ray has disappeared. I don't see uh, him very much around on on the internets. He must have he must have matured and gone on. <laughs> uh, one of the Dallas people. Change, yeah, change in business uh, uh, lifestyle. Who knows? Day job. I don't know. Yeah, you never know. Sometimes people you you got you got to do what you got to do, especially um, if it's keeping the bills paid and all that. So i i hope I hope Steve comes back at some point here. If people don't know the uh, the guest today is Miles Lewis, I've known him since the early nineties. Um, we were both in the Zine scene, um, Miles with uh, Elf Infested Spaces, and of course Excluded Middle, and we met um, through mutual friends. I guess West Nations, the late West Nations. Yeah, and um, became uh, friends and have known each other since then. Uh, which which opening of the uh, which show opening should I use? The original, the It's Greg, or the anti ETH? Uh, it's oh, okay. <laughs> we haven't heard that one in a while. Here, I'll put it on speaker so you can sort of hear it. Here hey, we go. Hey, who? What? Get your hands up! Here where you are. Don't move. Don't reach for them guns. Take it easy, you galoots. Put away the hardware and relax. <laughs> It's Greg. Greetings, my friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the The full story of what happened on on that that fateful day. We are We're giving you all the evidence I've heard this based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about... Radio <laughs> Okay. 
Okay, that's that's the uh, the original Wyatt's Greg. Well, the second original. The galoot. <laughs> uh, as I said in the in the pre-show banter, it's uh, July thirtieth, two thousand seventeen, and we're here with uh, our longtime friend Miles Lewis and fellow uh, fellow traveler on this journey, whatever the hell it is. Do you? Think, speaking of journeys, uh, I just did you read that post somewhere about taking mega doses of acid and what it does to you? No. It's called fingerprinting, I think. You take your thumb and you stick it in a vial of, of crystallized uh, LSD. It's something like you take a, uh, you take a, up to a gram, not a microgram, a thousand or something almost a thousand times what people normally take. Uh uh-uh. uh, no thanks. Yeah, the only the only I've only done uh, acid once, and the whole time all I could think was, oh, I wish this was mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, actually, there were. Go ahead. Oh, uh, just you know, I, I I tried to have as good a time as I could, and it was you know awesome and a, a fun, interesting, weird experience unto itself. But yeah, I always much preferred the organic feel of of a psychedelic mushroom. Uh, you know, I, the, the, one of the uh, nicer visual uh, experiences during that acid trip was uh, the people I was with who were also tripping. We had walked from my uh, quadruplex apartment where I was living down to the park. And while we were walking along, we heard a the sirens approaching and not police sirens, thankfully, but um, fire engine sirens. And as the giant flashing light machine the ufo barreled down the road and passed us we literally like sunk back into the bushes to not be seen even though i'm sure the 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 firemen were just like look at those fucking tripping kids and uh uh it was it was like uh you know star wars it was like some weird you know battleship ufo it was um (laughs) barreling down the road like out of close encounters Oh yeah, yeah. I, that which is being re-released very soon. I guess they cleaned it up, or the, is it going to be the director's cut or the original? Or I haven't even read. I don't know. I don't know what variation it's going to be, but I, you can assume that it's going to be as crystal clear a copy as they can get these days, and that alone should be uh, pretty uh, uh, mind-altering and inducing. I mean, that I was just just I, I regularly think about how. Um, it was really when that movie came out in 78, 79, um, along with Star Wars, of course. And uh, it's like I was so primed by that, as well as, um, uh, you know, hearing about these stories of, of alien abduction and people's close encounters with these beings that all around the world, people are encountering the same short, big headed, big eyed beings, allegedly. And that, as a kid, as a kid, that really imprinted me. That was my my religious myth that I believed in. Yeah, well, me too. I had a. Is that me or you? That is it's it. My, sure, it's me. Um, okay. At least I, on the, I hear a background hum or waterfall. Yeah, I hear like some white noise, or that's just the NSA listening. Anyway. Um, Wait, let, let's let that noise go for it by itself for like three seconds so I can filter it out. Wait. There. 
uh, I need this, like, I, I look for these little periods of silences because if you can get a clean piece of whatever the noise is, you can yeah. get um, you can get the uh, uh, Audacity or whatever program you're using to filter out those. Yeah, it's the noise print. That's the, you know, that's one of the processes that I do daily in my job with uh, digitizing old analog audiobooks and making them uh, available in the digital format for our patrons. Oh, how do you do? Whoa! I don't know what's going on. I've got like 90 guests listening. I mean, on, on the uh, on the show chat. Has this thing gone bots. wacko? It's bots, man. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, it's like there's like 400 guests something or other here. That's kind of scary. Huh? Attack. Denial of service attack on your chat room. Maybe. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, one, one pro... One of the 40, 50 guests on here, it says uh, uh, not what the um, player isn't working out at the, the site here. So if anybody can, uh, a couple other people said, yeah, it seems, seems to be working for them. Tell me if your player is not working and we will, um, I'm, I may reset if, uh, if, if enough people. Oh, a lot of the, a lot of the guests disappeared. Um, uh, if if yeah, other people are seeing it too. Serena was seeing all the all these. Uh, oh, Jeff is on there. That's good. Jeff G E F. Somebody's somebody's avatar is Jeff G E F. I and I I I really prefer Geff, but that's just a personal thing. We're uh, I'm reading that book right now. Um, yes, so- how is that? First, maybe you should explain to people what that is. And while you do that, I'm going to run and uh, get my um, uh, plug for the computer so it doesn't stop broadcasting. So I'll be back in like th- less than 30 seconds. But can you explain what the saga of Jeff the Talking Mongoose was? Hi, um, Jeff the Talking Mongoose. Okay. Um, so uh, I believe 1930s England, uh, there's a case of a urban couple and their young child that's in their teens – uh, living out uh, in the wilderness on a farm, mostly doing I'm back. Um, they're living out on this farm, and um, they're they start uh, over time in the 1930s hearing this uh, entity that they describe as a talking animal, basically a mongoose that talks, named Jeff Geff G E F. And um, but it it has a lot of the hallmarks of uh, poltergeist type phenomena, but the and the the playfulness of the spirit and the mischievousness. And um, it just seems unique in its aspect of its manifesting as a a critter, which there are some photographs that, you know, have that kind of look of like that just looks ridiculous. But um, a lot of photographs of what? Of the the mongoose. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, that's right. There's some like vague shapes yeah. that you can't tell what they are. Yeah, uh, on like the fence outside. And um, anyway, the the book so far is uh, really detailed. Uh, a little too much in, t- in going into um, uh, the background of the uh, location and the family. And but I mean, it's it it's great in that respect because it is like an archival uh, academic level quality of like every step of, of this, the history of this case and, and the history of the people involved and um, stuff I'd never heard. But, you know, I've only read a few articles about it over the years, um, mainly through 40 and times magazine. And um, uh, I actually recently got this book uh, 
as a birthday gift for my wife because I have a fond memory of us being on a road trip and her reading the Fordian Times article about this and her she would get in this really high pitched sing song voice to do Jeff's voice. <laughs> <laughs> which I'm not even going to try to imitate at this point. But, um, the, yeah, the books so far, we're not, we're not very far into it. About chapter three, um, after they go into extensive background descriptions, uh, the authors talk about they're actually going out to the site. Um, the house has been down for years. Uh, so you can't really get the full experience of it except through photographs and just local, uh, records. But, um, the, the house itself may have been, um, I think, from at, at least the 1300s, like, uh, and and maybe even older. Um, so, you know, they go into some interesting history on the background on the, on the location, and it just, it's a very weird case of that seems like a poltergeist that's manifesting as a critter in the walls, almost kind of this Edgar Allan Poe aspect, you know, of, yeah. uh, of things, a, a critter that's seen and heard and learn, knows multiple languages and is concerned with the uh, um, rumor mill uh, of the, this is all occurring on an island. I guess it's the Isle of Man. I'm not sure. Yes. Uh, and uh, it seems very like soap opera-ish, like the, 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 the mongoose is very interested in, you know, the, the intricacies of the interactions of the local folk. And there's so far uh, mentioned in this book of the idea that, you know, again, these are rural people who moved to the country and so they're not really locals and there's kind of that slight awkwardness and not antagonism. This is urban just, people that moved. Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. to the rural. And, um, and it's, and the, the location is very isolated and takes a, a, a long time to get to physically even today. Um, so it's very isolated and, stark and um it's just a weird story and it, it actually ends up uh, involving like uh, the the court system um a lot of different legal claims of sanity being lobbed by uh, against like I think some of the people that were reported on the phenomenon like the journalists the local newspaper men who like were saying we attest to the facts of this case and you know as crazy as it might seem these are reasonable people who reported these things and witnessed these things um but I don't know. Uh, it, it, there's there's a few rare cases like this where it seems like a poltergeist, like meaning it, there's there's these playful spirit manifestations around again an adolescent, like the classic poltergeist idea. And yeah. this, I think, girl it's, was like it six, sounds like a nicer version of the Bell Witch, actually. Jeff, the t- talking mongoose. Yeah, well, they found it. They asked what he was, and he said, "I'm a mongoose," and that what. I think some somebody that wrote the book or the, the publisher said um, their quote from Jeff was, if you knew what I knew, you'd know a lot. <laughs> Which is a very tricksterish thing to say. Yeah, no, very much trickster elements in this um, and mercurial nature of, of the manifestation. Um, um, but also, like, like, even Jeff apparently gave, like, multiple versions of his backstory that I think may have involved like he wasn't always a mongoose like maybe he was a man at some point <laughs> um, and, he, and, and he wasn't even really a mongoose he was some other type of weird unknown creature um, this is the self-professed backstory of <laughs> yeah very strange story but very fun and they look like it looks like this is probably going to be the de- definitive tome on it you know for years come because who the hell else is going <laughs> to go to such trouble and 
do the research on this. I mean, it's it starts off reading pretty boring, but in the third chapter, as they're traipsing down the path uh, that should be well marked, but pretty much they get to a bog and have to uh, uh, slug it through um, to the final uh, resting place of the old house. Um, you know, on their way there, they find some 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 small animal bones and start clacking them together and singing the the songs and hymns. That's the other thing about this uh, Geff Jeff guy, uh, mongoose guy, man weasel. That was the other word I think that's used to describe. The, the I've known a few of those. <laughs> yes, in the uh, media industry. Yeah, um, all over um, the place. But the uh, they started clacking the bones together and and sing, singing uh, songs that were the the favorites of. Jeff uh, as almost like a ritual on their way there to explore the location. Like the writers or the writer. Oh, okay. So um, I, I don't know the details, but I think this book is somehow connected to Mark Pilkington and his group of friends in the strange attractor press group. I'm not. Okay. Okay. I don't know. That that could be mistaken, but that's, I thought how I found out about it at Mm. least. It reminds me a little bit of when you say that little ritual, the, did you, you went to the uh, Giant Rock Cookout, right? Ninety-nine, yeah, yeah. This is a campout that um, the the Zine people that we were that we, that knew each other in the early uh, well, throughout the nineteen nineties. We used to gather once a year in various places and go camping. Called it the Cookout. Anyway, one year we went to uh, Yucca, uh, sorry, Yucca, um, Yucca Valley um, Joshua Tree National Monument, and actually it was National, yeah, it was National Monument then, and um, Giant Rock and the Integratron. And when we were at the Integratron, I hope you can't hear that plane on the microphone here. Um, I do. It's cool. Yeah, uh, it's a it's probably a helicopter though. It's a it's a ghetto bird like uh, fly around L.A. all the time. Um, when we got to Giant Rock, and I I think we did it this time. Somebody had copies of the uh, Proceedings of the College of Universal Wisdom, which was George oh. George Van Tassel's uh, uh, magazine or house house publication or whatever you want to call it. Um, and uh, I remember sitting down with Peter recording me, and I read out of one of the the College of Universal Wisdom magazine, zine, journal, whatever, for a few minutes. And I remember actually getting choked up. This would have been uh, at at the Rock, right? Because I think uh, yeah, we weren't, we weren't the the Integraton was closed the day uh, we went out there. But, yeah, this uh, was before, Na- and I think uh, Nancy and Joanne Carl actually owned it. Ah. Uh, uh, Serena said, "What was Jeff's favorite hymn?" Oh, I, I don't know. Sorry, <laughs> they haven't mentioned one in the book, and and I don't recall from. It's only like two articles, two or three articles I probably ever read about the, that that crazy story. I read about it when I was a kid in one of those weird Fortean books that I read when I was a kid, and that was one of my favorite stories, and I was so amazed that somebody had gone in and done some more research. It probably, probably when I read it when I was a kid, maybe one or two of the people that were alive at the time were still alive for yeah, that I think, matter. I don't think any of the original witnesses are left, are they? I don't think so, no. And, and one of the uh, photographs in the book of the house uh, was by the parapsychologist, uh, Nandor Fedor. Oh yeah, he did some. He he can't. He went out there to do uh, some. He might have written the article that I read when I was a kid. I don't think many people would have made the trek themselves. And the rest of the articles would have been like pe- people like me, armchair ufologists. Yes. <laughs> There's another one. Um, what is an armchair ufologist anymore? And the other. And I had this talk with Mac Tony's. I think one time. Huh? 
they're, uh, an armchair ufologist is much more informed than they would have been uh, back when the phrase was originally introduced. Because true, there's so much more access to information and misinformation and disinformation over the internet now. So yeah, the basement so, dweller uh, ufologist versus the <laughs> armchair ufologist. <laughs> They've moved into the basement and have a, uh, a high-speed internet connection so they can watch all the uh, third phase of moon videos. And, and troll the rest of the world, yes. Yeah, the trolling is... Uh, that, that's, a whole not- that's a whole article at some point. I think I told you I want to write, and you, you probably have, uh, have thought about this too. Just, yeah, you know, know. what is the mindset? Yeah, well, I think we've both had several discussions about wanting to talk more about that um, in a more formalized textual way but um yeah <laughs> since that's the mode way uh, the, one of the main ways of interacting now in this reality it's like um i mean sadly that it, it is great that it enables me to interact with you and my distant friends so much more e- easily as we are using this technology even as i speak um but yeah uh the the textual element of it just doesn't have any of the nicety of uh, the old paper snail mail zine scene. We did talk about this, I think, before, but uh, remember Dave Reimer, one of the cookout people, sent letters to everybody one one year? Do you remember what he did? Uh, you mentioned it the other day. I can't recall. He, uh, and, the, he and Wes uh, worked at Kinko's, so they had ad- <laughs> access, to, especially in the 1990s, to all these color printers and things. So he took an alien head uh, logo or depiction and put it on a, a size of a, a thing the size of the, of a stamp and printed out little you know the little scoop marks or whatever you want to call it the, as if it was a stamp uh-huh. that was printed. Um, it was an alien head. It said love underneath it. He stuck them on envelopes and sent them, and they all got delivered. <laughs> the alien head love stamp. I I I, I hope I still have it somewhere. Wow, man! Yeah, that, that's a that's a great piece of memorabilia that I would love to see in the archives. I'll try and find mine. I, I found a a box of like three hundred issues of uh, like the third or fourth issue of Excluded Middle a couple months ago, or no, maybe six months ago. Going when I was going through the garage, uh, the one with the blender on the cover, the Area Fifty One flying blender. Oh, right on! Now, yeah. classic. But I think you you have all the issues, right? Yeah, yeah, I think I have at least one of everyone. It's uh, it's a part of the archives. I have more issues of uh, Excluded Middle and other books by Greg Bishop in the Anomaly Archives than the Roswell UFO Museum. <laughs> the Roswell, uh, the Roswell uh, Museum um, Research Library. Research Center, yeah. What yeah. is in there? So, um, but this is the other thing I wanted to talk about. Uh, Miles and I were both at... Um, the Roswell thing. I mean, he was he was on the show here actually a couple weeks ago from Roswell. Um, but you know what? And Miles actually had the time to go into that research library, which you said, um, considering all the people, thousands of people that are in town, nobody was in there. What's in yeah. the Roswell, the giant Roswell Museum research library? Yeah. So I had just seen uh, Travis Walton talk in the video room of the museum. And yes, there were throngs and throngs of people. They were doing business gangbusters over there in the museum side. Uh, But right off the main entrance where everybody's swarming in from, 
is the a hallway to the library and research center, and in the research center is room upon room. It's not huge, but it's it's good size. Uh, th- thousands of books on UFOs, and then um, a hallway with some like display cases uh, with UFO theme memorabilia. It also looked like uh, on the tops of the the library shelves they had. Um, I'm guessing what was like a craftsy architectural design contest for like, oh, the future museum, like if we built from scratch, because it was like architectural building designs that looked kind of alien or weird. Yeah. And there, I didn't see any plaque, placard, uh, describing uh, the alien body. I mean, uh, weird architecture um, uh, on the tops of the uh, uh, shelves. But uh, anyway, there was these dis- display cases in the middle uh, of the uh, hallway that separates the second part, which is not as big as the first part, but uh, is seriously big. Two big rooms uh, packed with uh, their paper files and their periodical files. Uh, hundreds, if not a thousand or more issues of classic fate magazines and other uh, UFO magazines and news clippings and paper files. Um, and in... In looking and suddenly noticing where the F for fate sections were, there was a big fate section all by itself. But then I noticed <laughs> that there was a section of fates. Like they realized as they started, you know, the A to Z section that like there's going to be some sections they're going to have to break out somewhere else because there's just way too many yeah. uh, that would break up the flow of oh here is the wall where we have A to Z. Um, and so I went went back to where the F for fate would be, and I was like confronted by the EX section, the excluded middle section, and that's where I noticed the box and took it off the shelf and uh, um, uh, lo- went looking for the whatever copies of excluded middle magazine that they might have had there in the EX. What they have, like three? So I opened the I found I opened the box and there's multiple file manila file folders. I find the excluded middle one and I pull it out and it's empty. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, this does not fill me with uh, uh, auspicious uh, uh, certainty that this is a good research center. But um, so I, I'm like, okay, it's probably just misfiled. And I look real quickly and sure enough, the copies of excluded middle, two of them. Um, I forget which ones. It may have been one of the blender one and a more brown colored one. Oh, it's the one with the. Uh, I can't remember the name of the artist. Is it the near death? It's not the near death. Oh, experience. I thought it was the near death experience one no, that has the beige cover. Yeah, that's the color I'm thinking. So that's probably the the one. Um, anyway, yeah. I made a. I took a picture of it to show you because I was like, oh, that's awesome, cool, and I put it back in the proper Manila folder and refiled it. So. Um, uh, go ahead. Oh, and I also I showed you that picture of the, uh, among the other things I just randomly t- peeled off the shelf. I found there was like a full color comic book style uh, retelling in I guess oh what do they speak in Brazil? Uh, Portuguese. Portuguese. Uh, a comic book uh, color portfolio of the the Via Boas case. Oh yeah, you told me about that. Yeah, I wonder if the same artist did the because I found that comic book of uh, that I showed when I talked of the um, Emilchin Poland case. Uh, yes, great stuff. Yeah, that, actually, that was in English. We can get back to uh, Roswell stuff. Uh, Jeff, the talking mongoose, uh, wrote in on the writing Mysterioso chat room. Um, <laughs> yes, and he said, "If you knew what I knew, 
you'd know a lot, but I do have some questions for Miles. Smiles, if there's time. He actually said smiles. Uh, could he talk about the archives a bit, uh, Anomaly Archives, as well as his great piece on the latest alien mummy from South America? I did not see that, so please do. Uh, okay. Whichever I, one you want to take first. Uh, well, quickly, the alien mummy. I don't know that I've written a piece so much as in one of the Anomaly Archives newsletters, I used uh, an image that our friend Kirk Collins, I think he made it, I'm not sure, um, was the the Gaia TV Facebook you know advertisement image of the latest al- alleged alien mummy uh, with the words exploitation across <laughs> it and uh, um, you know I, I, this was even before I guess the Peruvian Mummy Association what <laughs> the cultural uh, uh, scientist folks were like hey we really don't appreciate this kind of uh, cultural appropriation and misrepresentation. or whatever you're doing yeah more like misrepresentation. Right. And um, uh, that, but uh, yeah, I, I didn't really write so much an article about that as just trying to point people to the fact that, hey, that's happening again. Um, that there's a, you know, the, the paranormal media outlet, the extraterrestrial uh, promoting media outlets are grabbing onto yet another thing being promoted by Jaime Masson that, guess what, again involves mummified alleged aliens. And it's just, while I guess I would love to say I'm open to you know evidence of any of these interesting possible realities from any angle, yeah, I I just it really does bother me, especially after the bad taste left in my mouth of the um, two-year-old mummified child that we had to look at for uh, right. a, a couple of years uh, because they wouldn't really blurrily until they released the uh, real uh, less blurry images uh, and let us confirm what we already suspected. Look, a mummy now move on. Yeah. So yeah, no new really uh, article on that other than to say, you know, but I did hear uh, uh, Chris O'Brien talking to you and Erica Saying he looked at it and was expressing interest, but I'm just going to set that aside because I just I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I mean that that once bitten thing is very strong. In fact, it's probably about 800 times bitten with uh, Masson. Yeah. Um, not because see the thing is what I think it, you know they're doing is they're just trying to generate interest in it. Um, whether it's true or not, whether it's found out that it's fake or not, whether it, it just dies away and becomes nothing. They're trying to get all this um, publicity for it and possibly money while people are interested. And I, okay, great. If you're going to make your your living being a paranormal-oriented media yeah. outlet, I I'm not making you, an excuse for it at all. I know, and I'm just I'm just saying it behooves them or anybody doing that to try to set some ethical standards and 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 have a little respect for the the possible. Uh, just wrong thing to do this that you know you, uh, yeah. you know okay sure uh, i'm i if, if somebody came to me with alleged evidence of of uh mummified alien remains i'd be like okay but i don't know if i'm the right person to put this bring this forth or um and it just it just it just i find it really distasteful that's all yeah well uh, what i the, go ahead uh, just i was going to go to the anomaly archives oh go ahead um Please do. Uh, you know, You're the guest. Please I'm, do. I'm just speaking, you know, as myself, but, uh, you know, putting on my hat as uh, 
founder and uh, director of the Anomaly Archives, a nonprofit, community-oriented lending library and archive that's mission is the preservation of UFO, paranormal, parapsychological, Fortean, anomalous-related uh, information, and the hopeful uh, ability to uh, analyze that data and, and educate the public about its contents. Mm-hmm. No small undertaking. Uh, you know, the first uh, thing is we got to uh, establish a reliable, self-sustaining archive, right. and that's no small feat given just the nature of things, uh, the second law of thermodynamics and decay. Uh, so uh, we're, the Anomaly Archives was founded uh, as a state nonprofit and got its uh, 501c3 state, status back in 2003. And um, we've been uh, at two different locations over the last uh, however many years that is. And uh, for the, since 2009, we've been in a place, uh, a location up in northwest Austin that's we're cohabitating with another nonprofit that I'm involved with called INAX, the Institute for Neuroscience and Consciousness Studies. Mm. And both of these organizations organizations have uh, uh, share board members and and membership who are interested in anomalous phenomena, consciousness, parapsychology especially. But also they all have interest in UFOs and the possibility of contacting some quote-unquote aliens. Who doesn't, Right. Right. <laughs> Except a lot of the population who just don't give a crap, you know. So, yeah, well, they're uh, not they're not required to. We're we're in a we're in a weird special uh, geeky uh, uh, subculture here. It's a lot bigger than it used to be, but it still is. Yeah, it's it's a <laughs> it's a big club, and you can easily be in it. So, <laughs> <laughs> to, to misquote uh, George Carlin. Um, anyway, it's it, the Anomaly Archives. Uh, has thousands of books on UFOs, consciousness, parapsychology, strange phenomena, you know, small but growing section on the things like classics like cryptozoology, Bigfoot, and uh, more uh, less esoteric uh, cryptozoological subjects uh, like, you know, actual animals that were presumed extinct but then turn out to not be extinct. Um, and uh, but then the wilder stuff, the, the, the crop circles. Calimulations, Bermuda Triangle, all the classics of uh, Fortean what the fuck kind of stuff, <laughs> and <laughs> um, and and a, a quite a bit of uh, conspiratorial material because of course any of these fields uh, that I've mentioned can have its uh, share of, of st- stories of cover-ups, covert ops, and conspiracies. And so the Anomaly Archives uh, basically is mainly trying to maintain that collection, grow that collection, and find uh, a, a best permanent home for it here in Austin, Texas, where the Chamber of Commerce long ago tried to embrace the um, Keep Austin Weird mantra um, and has been fumbling it ever since. <laughs> Keep Austin weird. Uh, they, they don't know what weird is. You can't if you're working in the government. It just doesn't make any weird. Is people that do weird things. That that's. I think that's all they care. That's all they think about. Government's pretty weird to me. Working in it for twenty years now. Yeah. Do you uh, actually? Do, people don't even know what you've done for twenty years. What What's been your regular job for twenty years here? But basically, almost the whole time I've known you. Yeah. Started January of nineteen ninety seven. Uh, a seminal ufological year. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, flights at what, what have you? Um, Roswell the fiftieth. Yeah. The uh, I, I worked for a state government program that's one of the best uh, 
state and uh, national programs that there is in our governmental structure, and that is the Texas Talking Book Program, which provides audiobooks for the uh, blind and print disabled. So, yes, the Texas Talking Book Program, program is part of a national program that's part of the Library of Congress uh, sub-program, NLS, National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped. And basically, um, Texas has had over for over 70, 75 years, I think maybe it's 80 years, uh, a program for blind people. Uh, but the national programs uh, is almost as old, and uh, they coordinate network across the country for, again, people who qualify due to a variety of disabilities that can be as simple as even like extreme arthritis where you can't physically hold a book. Um, so uh, I run, ever since 2003, um, I run the volunteer recording studio where I have staff and volunteers help us create new audiobooks uh, of, of new and old material. Um, but of course, ever since getting into the role in 2003, we've been making the finally <laughs> in 2003, the, the transition to di- digital. And so that meant, uh, digitizing, uh, all of the old 6,000 plus audiobook titles that were recorded in the mm. 40 past 40 years of the studio. Well, uh, this volunteer studio was founded 40 years ago Yeah, by, by volunteers. Um, and, any, any uh, UFO books. Uh, yeah, there are a few. Yeah, um, you know, Strieber being a Texas uh, author uh, when he wasn't writing from New York. Yeah. New York City. New York uh, City. Communion, uh, New York City. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, there's a few in the collection, like the uh, the Insider's View um, book that was one of the guys, I think, from the, uh, the Dissenter from, and then it went away. Um, yeah, or a change. Uh, the the dissenting view from the uh, Condon Committee uh, report. Yeah, had his own book. Uh, that's one that we recorded, and you know Ed Conroy's uh, book, Report on Communion, and um, I, the, the Gulf Breeze book is in there. Um, by what's his name? The Walters. <laughs> yes, um, Mr. Ed Walters. Uh, Ray Stanford's uh, uh, Pentagon Pentagon Pantry, Socorro Socorro Sasa in a Pentagon Pantry, yeah. These aren't ones necessarily that I had any connection to recording. These are mostly things that were recorded either before me by my predecessors or uh, by the national program. Uh, Brad Brad Steiger books, uh, a mega project by Kenneth Ring. um, But it could always be a lot more. Yeah, how about Round Trip to Hell in a Flying Saucer? I'd like to hear that. (laughs) if, if that's available in audiobook, it's it's somebody has probably done it themselves through the some of the independent services that are out there. Oh yeah, to- yeah, yeah. I've I've got a few of those. Actually, people reading psycho cybernetics. I've I've actually got a, a volunteer recording of that. Right on. <laughs> the other part of that. Oh no, you answered both part of that guy's question. Um, you know what what was the anomaly oh. archives? The mummy. I was surprised because, as I said on the on Erica's show uh, the other day. That when I was there, um, Chris, I saw him on, uh, I was being interviewed for something or a couple of shows. I saw Chris was coming. He said, oh, I'm going to off, I'm off to Colorado here in a couple of days and I, or tomorrow. And I said, Chris, are you coming up here? And he came up, they put him in the same hotel as me. We went out to dinner because I didn't see him in a while. But um, I said, what are you out here for? And he said, they're going to show me the mummy uh, x-rays, not the actual mummies, because I guess they're still in Mexico or South America or wherever they are. 
but he he saw the X-rays and he said he said I'm all prepared to be completely pissed off and unimpressed and he said it actually was fairly impressive to me um, from my limited knowledge of X-rays and anatomy and all that um, and I was just like you I said well I guess I'm going to just have to withhold judgment because um, we've been we've been bitten more than once yeah so we have to be very shy about what's going on here somebody. I believe posted a video of a skeptical person, which, you know, depending on what you think and who you're talking to and whatever. Um, sometimes I like seeing what people say when they say, well, I think this is BS. And what the guy said was, and I, I, if I can find it, I'll put a link up to it when I post this show. But what he said was that um, as far as he could tell, and I don't know what his area of expertise was. I, I don't know if he's a doctor or a veterinarian or pathologist or anything. But uh, it would be nice if he was. Uh, what he said was it looked very much to him, in fact, exactly to him, like two of the fingers had been cut off expertly uh, at some point in some way. And the other three fingers on the three-fingered being had just been the, – the flesh had been cut um, you know, another few inches down to make it look like three very long fingers. And hmm. that's what he's, he said. If it's not that, he said, I will, one, take all the money I make off my YouTube channel, which I don't know what that is. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe he said something else. But um, he was going to give a substantial amount of money to, I can't remember what it was, something he would never give money to. And he said, he'd, you know, he'd eat his shoes or something. He was, I'm absolutely certain this is, this is a hoax for these reasons, which doesn't make him right. But it seems more likely to me than the alternative. Um, but I'll wait and see. You know, I've, uh, I'm just like you. I mean, how many hundreds of times does somebody say we've got definitive proof and, proof and then never, nothing ever happens? That's what I thought about the Roswell slides, which why I didn't really pay attention to it. I thought it was a big waste of time. Plus, with, I, I was under the impression that I, I had seen uh, an explication of the, the individual who brought these, this, this, this body, this mummy, forward was known to have perpetrated other manipulated ah. specimen-type cases. Like well, the, supposedly. Is, supposedly. And, and right there is like, well, then I'm, not, I'm just immediately less than interested. Yeah, somebody asked me recently about um, about Romanek. Oh, it was MJ Benias who was on uh, Facebook saying, I just watched the Romanek documentary. What do you people think? Yeah. And a couple people of other people asked me, including Erica Lukes, and I said, I just never pay attention to him. And then uh, some people said, well, you know, there is some stuff that is, is very you know compelling about what he said. And I said, but it's buried under so much shit. How totally. can you know it? There might be something there, but there's so much crap. I was like, what? You know, well, it's, why, it's your, your credibility is completely shot. Even if you do have something genuine, nobody's going to pay any attention to it because you've made up so much stuff that nobody trusts you. I guess, being that I do fetishize the high strangeness aspect yes. of the UFO phenomenon, that I think is leg a legitimate and important and core aspect of the phenomena. Yeah, I. I there's that <clears throat> train wreck viewing witness um, mentality that goes through your mind. Hold on, I gotta take. How do you mean? It's like a train wreck, and you can't help. Uh, or oh, crash. I see what you mean. Yeah, car crash. You gotta slow down. And you, you gotta peak, like uh, Bill Hicks used to say. 
you've got a rubberneck and um and like i say it, it is so strange so you know and the, and there i i freely admit i was very delusional in so much and people think i still am but the <laughs> <laughs> me too but there was a period of my belief in ufo's where i was i was entertaining the possibility it's like okay well so the these phenomena seem to be able to not be photographed <laughs> so what if maybe they actually have technology where when they are photographed they can remotely modify the picture to insert that string that disproves their existence <laughs> yeah it's even more ridiculous than having the uh, having it just be a real phenomenon so um I, I too, uh, somebody, because I had seen somebody say, hey, you know, this documentary is pretty interesting. I, I had watched it and it was free and right. I immediately was uh, uh, drawn into it. And uh, it felt like that old time religion that I had experienced when I was uh, earlier indoctrinated into the, the modern UFO myth. And, um, you know, it's like, oh, a lot of weird stuff seen in the sky. Okay, lots and lots of stuff. And, wow, it's crazy. Okay, and they're not showing me an investigation of even one of these or just giving me, you know, he's had these experiences. And then um, moving into the, the, the high strangeness aspects and, um, uh, like, there's a whole bit about his what later turns out to be his hybrid daughter uh, appearing randomly in photographs and in person as they're take as he's taking pictures of cats or dogs out in the backyard. And it looks like in the, the pictures, it's like, it looks like a cardboard cutout, like of, of a girl peeking with eyes over the edge of something, whatever it is that he's putting. It's like those, uh, those spice spicer garden weasel, uh, uh, <laughs> Remember the cutouts of uh, there was a I posted about uh, the Sean Spicer because he had gotten caught uh, uh, hiding in the bushes, yeah, from the the media. Uh, anyway, it looks like that, like a, two, a little two dimensional cutout of a picture of a girl looking over the guardrail on the patio in the backyard. It's just <laughs> weird. It it acts like the like somebody else I saw online was comparing it to like a modern version of the coddling fairy photographs the obviously two-dimensional cutout uh hoax photographs of the famous fairy photos oh right right but yeah uh romanek mm, yeah i never have followed it too close and all i wanted as much as i enjoyed that it was like i say it was like a going back in time re-experiencing of the giddy just like, i'm just gonna buy into this and watch it and um all the while, just though going, you know, if if only there was some investigative journalistic aspect to any one of these claims or of an, of an encounter. Like, did anybody try to verify, you know, with local law enforcement that he uh, uh, reported being assaulted by the people that he, the Men in Bell Act type characters that he said he was assaulted by, or the anybody verify the um, uh, information about the handyman that appeared after one night's encounter and and stripped the the outside of the of one side of the house where there was alleged damage from the ufo light on the side of the building the, they took the siding away oh my god um <laughs> but uh yeah well you you saying all this the the thing that's going through my mind right now um with two nights in a row of less than four hours of sleep each night is that is not something like Romanek and a lot of these things just porno? 
I mean, it's you're getting excited by something, but it's it's uh, to this point in history, it hasn't proved anything. All the you, the, the mummy and uh, what I'm trying to think of other ones. Billy Meyer, who Cheryl Costa says is a smoking gun of ufology. Just all these different cases where it's like the case, even well documented ones. What does it do besides everybody? Uh, people that say, yeah, there's UFOs here and. And there's aliens here, and then on the other side, people are saying there's no actual, uh, you know, objective evidence for anything, which is, the, you know, the two sides of the, the coin here. But yeah. when this porno comes out, it seems like it's the same, always, the same uh, script gets run. And I think when we're talking about it here, we're running the script again. And I'm wondering what good... This is why when people ask me about things like, did you see the Romanek thing? Why? No. Why? It's like, because I think it's useless. <laughs> to to me basically i i think that um the uh just looking at these cases over and over again and thinking that it's going to be you know the case that breaks everything open seems to be just a useless exercise because it doesn't really change anything so you know what's the next step after that what really changes everything what makes people change their minds their own experience so that's kind of what i've been pushing at recently what do you think, Miles? I mean, uh, should we pay attention to all these stories, etc.? It's all er, the the next story that comes out, the next exciting thing, the next. I've gotten I've gotten bleary bleary eyed on it. We've we've never advocated for uh, a smoking gun case. You know, it's not to me. It's never been about like I I I want to investigate or I want that one case to come out you know okay. I mean yeah, yes I haven't either miles I'm just saying kind of in general yeah and and I think that is part of the mentality that that leads to the problems that we have is is when when one case gets overly uh acknowledged in the media sometimes rightly as it should mm-hmm. um it's 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 more prone to being um uh Affected by uh, affecting and being affected by that bio uh, cybernetic feedback loop that we uh, interact with the phenomena through. That's that's both you know the phenomena itself and our perception and the media's feedback loop. You know, uh, taking these stories and regurgitating them and picking the more sensationalistic ones and whatever ones that promote this or that agenda, fear-based or not. Um, and and the, the the focusing on that one quintessential smoking gun case just tends to give the the, the public the me, uh, reading what the media is feeding to it in that feedback loop uh, the opportunity to just you know uh, like most people just either accept it or reject it um, and I think if we more as people trying to talk to the masses about these phenomena, look at the um, comparison and more um, academic approach to to the effects of these phenomena, the people's the effects of people's beliefs on these phenomena. I mean, yeah, you can get into the science of the man- mechanisms of manifestation, but if we're just trying to uh, help people understand it better, the only way is to talk about the 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 subjective narrative aspects, I think, and, and the, the multiplicity of perspectives that's expressed by people's experiencing of it compared to the media is going, Oh yeah, that Roswell case, that's the big thing, right? That's what you UFO guys are all about, right? Or Shaq, <laughs> that's the one, right? Area 51, right? Uh, uh, it's, it's always about, you know, 
yeah, a smoking gun because everybody wants definitive proof as opposed to definitive proof in, is or is disproof. The, yeah, or disproof. Yeah, I guess uh, is is the you know the the short way that everybody wants the easy answers. You know, right. Uh, and and while I, I am in in a sense uh, that the skeptics lampoon this idea of those of us in the field who are interested in perpetuating the mystery as opposed to solving it by being more reductionistic and skeptical and debunking and um, it's I, yeah I, there's a part of me that's like again it gets to what I was saying to uh, uh, Miguel uh, on the conspiracy normal show that we were interviewed for earlier yeah. uh, to talk about the UFOs reframing the debate book um, uh, you know uh in Red Pill's essay, uh, you know, Anarchy and the UFO, um, you can tell I lost my train of thought, can't you? That's okay. What about you? Were both talking about uh, on Conspiracy Normal, the Adam Sane show, about re- uh, reframing the debate, and you were referring to Miguel's. Uh, I actually talked to him just a few minutes ago before the show because I had a question for him, for him about Photoshop, but. He was saying that uh, um, that uh, Adam spent a lot more time on his essay, um, and then he wanted to give you more of a chance to talk on my show um, because his essay, he said, was as it was uh, kind of had a straight through line, and yours kind of um, went to the, went to bat for everything that 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 uh, contributes to what people don't think about the UFO subject and the whatever you know whatever uh, methods can be used to examine it, not really solve it. Cause I don't think your essay was about solving it at all. No, no, it was, in I, fact, I th- a lot of the essays weren't about solving it with save for a couple like, uh, Micah and uh, Micah Hanks and a couple others. I, yeah. Um, I, as I said in the, on the conspiracy normal interview and it, the, the, well, the two main focuses are me giving you what I, my, my heart and soul kind of feels is a likely probable explanation, understanding point, perspective of what UFO phenomena represent. But the, the main thrust was, hey, it's a warning, you know, besides, you know, the, the dangerous uh, uh, nature of the UFO phenomena and belief systems in general, um, uh, there, there does seem to be evidence that humans have long noticed the ability uh, to manipulate people through their beliefs and and will often do so willy-nilly. And, and, of course, you know, Project Beta is a great example of that. I think I'm picking up radio interference. I feel like I hear in the static in the background, like, other voices now. That's We're getting creepy. EVP on Radio Mysterioso right now. That that I, I'm not sure. I think that's... A, we had one other. I had one other EVP when Paul Kimball was on once talking about getting choked by a ghost. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he said, I felt this tightness around my neck. And as soon as he said that, there was a, 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 a maniacally chuckling voice came in. A very soft one, actually. It went, <laughs> and there was nobody else in the studio. It didn't sound like it was coming from him. And he swore it didn't come from him. And I don't think Paul would do that. Yeah. Um, and it was, it, that, that was uh, my weirdo EVP on the show. So maybe we're getting some through the... Uh, through the through the static like um, uh, ghost orchid uh, stuff. <laughs> do you do you know what that is? Uh, ghost orchid. It is a CD of EVP recorded in the nineteen seventies and eighties, I believe, and it's presented as a it's a, it, it came out sometime in the nineties, I guess. Anyway, um, 
that I did not know about this guy before. Obviously, they talk about Constantine Radiv, Radiv, Radiva. Um, but there was a British guy in the 1960s, 70s named Raymond Cass. He's on there. And there's some um, Swedish guy talking too with a very with, with an accent it, it's basically it is um like 40 50 60 examples of um evp picked up on tape recorders either and most of the time actually through um break-in sounds on shortwave radio oh wow yeah and the first thing you think is well you know stuff breaks in on shortwave and you listen to it and you're just like of course you know anything you can hear on the radio just breaking through in a in a um, not surreptitious, just by uh, um, what's it called um, drift um, frequency drift on these mm. things. You get little sprays, and you're just like, yeah, yeah, you know. Of course, you're gonna, you can pick up anything you want out of there. But some of them have to do with they would get voices that actually referred to the per. I mean, you, the person heard their name, and it referred to a situation that they were having at the time. So it's not always just making things up. So um, a lot of these things are on this CD called The Ghost Orchid, which I'm not even sure you can get anymore. And I don't even know where I got mine. I think I traded it to somebody for something at one point. But, yeah. yeah. I, I think it might be online, actually. There, there, might be, there might be a link to it somewhere. Maybe it's on um, uh, the YouTube. I've played bits of it on my show in the past. Yeah, I feel like I've heard parts of it and uh, remember that description that you just gave. And uh, it, I feel like I probably came across it when I was researching the number stations and online recordings. It's the same, just a whole other phenomena, but also uh, radio related. Yeah, I, I came across, I, I think I actually got a copy of it when I was thinking about doing a book on wishing machines, which I think is a, an underrepresented part of the, uh, the paranormal spectrum. Um, there's a they, there is a lecture from Naropa by William S. Burroughs from the 1980s, I believe, and it's called "Technology and the Ethics of Wishing," which is a great title. I mean, why would you not want to listen to that? Um, but yeah, he talks about the the the, the concept of the wishing machine and uh, how it might be. You know, it's just basically a form of uh, evocational magic. Uh, Remind me to tell you about my experience of that subject on a very personal level sometime off air. Oh, okay. Um, I actually did a, um, uh, Ken Thomas as having tinnitus, uh, about a year ago. And I said, do you know that William Burroughs, one of his favorite writers, who's actually buried in St. Louis, I'm going to go to his grave when we go there for the eclipse, but, his experiment with the wishing machine was that a friend of his had tinnitus, bad case of tinnitus, and he said, "Why don't you record a, a uh, approximation of that noise and then like speed it up and slow it down?" And he said, "Basically, try and get a try and get get control of it somehow, at least on a symbolic level." And he wow. said, "And then I tried the wishing machine at the same time, and he he said um, that the guy's tinnitus went um, had like very sharply." Uh, diminished at the time he started using the wishing machine and he said it had continued. And I don't think Burroughs was lying. He wouldn't lie about something like that. I, I really don't think. But um, there's strange uh, anecdotal evidence about uh, wishing machines. I've got actually a book called Mind Machines You Can Build. And uh-huh. there are specific plans for, and you can buy them on eBay, I think, too, but you can build one yourself for relatively cheap. <laughs> and you can, make, you can make one that actually has circuits in it, if you feel that way. And he's uh, the author of the book. I think his name is G. Harry Stein, S-T-I-N-E. 
Um, he, he said, the funny thing is people have used symbolic wishing machines that are just basically drawings of the circuitry, and it works just as well. <laughs> Try just a little box that you imbue with the ability to grant you a wish and put write down your piece of paper and put it in. Um, yeah, like I said, ask me about that later. Uh, okay. You mentioned... Can Thomas and tinnitus? Yeah, well, I did it with him, and he said, I, I, I'm not sure, but it's, I said he think it actually helped him a little bit. I didn't use a wishing machine, but I sent him that thing, and I did a kind of a directed, you know, wishing meditation or whatever with a picture of Ken and imagined his tinnitus going away, and he said that it, it actually, he thinks it helped a little bit. I hope so. so. I mean, I mean, it's, 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 I don't have fixed ideas about things, these things, as you know. And it's like, okay, I'll try something, you know, especially if, it's, if I do something silly and nobody sees me doing it. I'll, I'll try almost anything. <laughs> saying it publicly, yes. Um, but, uh, well, you know, it just gets down to this placebo effect. It's like, well, the placebo effect is, in a lot of ways, much more potent than a lot of the alleged uh, scientific findings for some of the pharmaceuticals. For the cures, yeah. Most promoted. Um, take that. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, have I told you about my mystery hum experience from last year? No. And uh, you're mentioning of tinnitus. And I think I, there's something we talked about earlier that I, I made me, well, I also, I was, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I talked about this really for the first time publicly uh, on the Cyber radio show with Mac a couple of months ago. Um, it's mm-hmm. not something I had been, you know, keeping secret or anything, but, um, I'd made references to it. Um, you know, anyway, so, uh, back in January of 2016, starting on Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, um, I started hearing a sound that I guess is similar to what people think of when they talk about mystery hums of a certain locale, like the Taos hum or these others around the world. Um, Anyway, I, I went into a long description of all of this uh, on the Psyop Radio Show with Mac, but uh, suffice to say, for about 26 days, um, uh, mostly at night, um, mostly at home, I was hearing a sound that uh, I best identified as like sounding kind of like a like if you're inside of a, a turboprop commercial airplane cruising along at altitude. Mm, you might have told me about this. And, um, but I actually, I, I jokingly referred to it as my stealth blimps, uh, <laughs> because, um, you know, with, when planes or helicopters pass overhead, you, or even a blimp, you hear the Doppler effect as it comes towards you, your location and goes away from your location. Yeah. Um, and there's a telltale sound, but if it's something's hovering, if that if that's the sound you're hearing, but it's it it doesn't have the Doppler effect, like it's just hovering yeah, above you. Yeah, it's either coming towards you or uh, from far away, or it's in one place. And so the sound I was hearing, I liken to uh, like turboprop blimp uh, engines, or like I described, the the sound inside of a high turboprop. Uh, commercial aircraft it's just kind of a weird hum almost but also it sounded like the the, the sound of like a loud hvac system and i've heard that connect i you know this thing is again my my uh, terminology is going to be tainted to, to some degree by the literature because i have this is one of those subjects that at least since the 90s was probably when i first heard about it started hearing about the taos hum and other uh local locally specific uh hum sounds and 
Um, sadly, I, I never, uh, uh, I, I didn't even think to get a recording of it. That's how stupid uh, I can be sometimes. Uh, here, uh, in sure the, sounds like a normal reaction. Same reason well, I didn't go see the UFO that I saw. Why didn't I drive up and see it closer? What's wrong with me? It, hmm, you know, that's that's a whole other subject of the psychology of the yeah. uh, anomaly recipient. Right. But so. Long story short, um, I'm glad it ended. I'm fascinated and interested in talking about it, especially having heard about various manifestations of this. Your mentioning of tinnitus um, is what triggered my wanting to bring it up, just because at some point it occurred to me that, you know, oh, I've had high frequency tinnitus all my life, but could this possibly be low frequency tinnitus? And sure enough, there is uh, a lot of people that suffer uh, from tinnitus. They might have high in one ear and low in another. Yeah. Huh. Uh, and I never heard of this. And low frequency tinnitus sufferers seem to be more prone to like this is debilitating as opposed to high frequency sufferers seem they can it can be debilitating but most people learn to live with it. High frequency way. high functioning tinnitus. So <laughs> um and I, I ultimately I'm 50 Not laughing 50, at tinnitus. On uh, ultimately I'm 50/50 on the origin of my experiencing of this it lasted for about 26 days it mostly seemed to happen at, at home. Uh, in certain rooms, it was louder than others. Uh, I could kind of hear it outside uh, the front door, the back door of the house. I could. Uh, I tried driving around. I tried to locate it. I tried to locate every prosaic location for an explanation. I found plenty of things that I, I think could be sources of such a phenomenon in other cases didn't seem to be uh, the source of mine. Um, went to the uh, World Hum Map run by... Uh, uh, researcher named McPherson who's uh, been collect is suffering from the same phenomena and has been collecting data and entered I my didn't even know there was such a thing that's great it's great it's thousands of data though he recently discovered that the most recent update was corrupted and so they're gonna have to revert like to uh, earlier version oh, but world uh, hum map you said yes yeah, okay. uh, um, it's almost anyway. like a cut up it's it's weird. So it turned in in talking to Mac about this. It turns out that he had had a, a vaguely similar uh, but different strange hum experience up in the Fort Worth area uh, in I think he said October of last year. So, but there were aspects of what I reported that he said did sound like um, what he he had heard, but his, his experiencing of it was very different. But huh. anyway. Um, it was it was one of those things where I, I was not able to have another <laughs> my my wife and a, a, fr- a friend of ours uh, both women were unable to hear it when I was able to hear it loudly but they were able to hear high frequency stuff in my office environment that I normally just tune tune out right away um, and uh, so people hear things differently I stupidly like I say never tried to record it. Uh, but I've since come across it uh, in, strangely enough, the high-speed transfer that we do in uh, the uh, my day job with the, the reel-to-reel audio stuff. There was one day when I was transferring some um, reel master to digital format, and at the high speed that we were going at, in the background, I could hear this this humming noise that's really reminded me of it. And I was able to play that for my coworkers and they're like, yeah, I totally hear that. So something that sounded like it, I was able to hear and uh, relay to friends, but yeah, that wasn't the, re- I that wasn't a recording of what I was hearing here. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I've never, I've never actually had that problem. I hope I don't. Yeah. 
uh, it really started concerning me because I was thinking, you know, if I can't locate the source of this and or do anything about it, you know, is it something that's going to drive me nuts? Because um, it, it it had that potential, it felt like. Um, but so hope I don't experience that again. Yeah. Yeah. No shit. Do you want to bring up MUFON at all? <laughs> yeah, sure, man. Um so uh here comes another helicopter. So, uh, one of the listeners actually said that's replaced the sirens. There it goes. There, there's a Doppler. There's the Doppler effect. Thank yeah. you. Um so um yeah, MUFON. In light of I've been referring to MUFON's death spiral, their continued death spiral. Um I have a warm place in my heart for MUFON at the local level because Yes, I think a lot of people do. Right after I graduated high school, maybe even before, but I think afterwards, um, I discovered through my local library the MUFON Journal and the national organization and um, found that there was a local chapter. And the local chapter strangely had its roots in something akin to uh, an outgrowth of the interest surrounding Ray Stanford's Project Starlight International and his other channeling group, the AUM, Association for the Understanding of Man. Right. And Austin Mufon had been going uh, for uh, several years when I got there in like 89, 90. And um, this coincided with the, the, the rise of the height of the abduction Panic, flap, whatever, uh, manifestation. and Early to uh, mid-90s kind of time? Yeah. 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 And um, that was when I was getting into the Austin MUFON scene. And I, you know, the, I definitely quickly outgrew it. I, I quickly felt like I was interested in these phenomena from a level that was less literal. Um, and I recognized that most people just because there's always been a stigma attached to the stories um, of whatever type of phenomena you're talking about, there was a need for uh, a safe space uh, <laughs> so that people would be triggered, um, you know, by ridicule. Um, but the Austin MUFON scene uh, here, they, they started doing a few series of mini conferences. I videotaped most of those. Um, I, I helped out in very small ways. I got like video footage of alleged UFOs shot in nearby central Texas towns uh, from local news media. Um, you know, all of this was foundational for me. There was a, a, you know, even amongst all these believers, though, was a really great skeptic uh, named Gerald Ron Johnson who, um, uh, you know, none of the believers really liked and they all suspected might have, uh, you know, some kind of MIB government uh, background and they weren't actually all that wrong. But um, he was just a guy who was uh, interested and rational and he was the first person to like turn me on to like how some of the stuff coming out of Mexico with like Jaime Masson and the whole uh, uh, Messengers of Destiny. Do you remember all those, uh, the, the eclipse flap uh, of... of um, UFO sightings. Oh yeah, yeah. The the Mexican eclipse. That that huge. Yeah, that that huge amount of sightings and videos and all that that happened in the nineties. Yeah. And uh, it was Gerald Ron Johnson who was like, I, I hate to break the news to you, but that's Venus. And here's how you can go with any video camera out to your backyard during the day, look up in the sky in this certain area where you can predict it's going to be, <laughs> and uh, videotape. You know this this same 
object. And this is when I started first really learning about how, like, you know, the optics in video cameras uh, affected the, the 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 image that you're recording and may not actually represent the shape of the quote unquote object you're recording. And uh, in fact, the uh, video footage that I was referring to that I uh, helped get from a local uh, news agency. They were saying, oh, look at this, you know, diamond shaped UFO. And well, it turned out the diamond shape was just the, the optics of the camera. It's like if you, when when it zoomed in on a pixel of light that it really couldn't resolve, the best it could do is the optics of the camera itself, which is, this, you know, diamond shape in this particular camera. Mm-hmm. Right. Anyway, Gerald Ron Johnson was a MUFON guy who I had heard was actually destined to replace uh, Walt Andrus. Uh, and that would have been a significant sea change right there. If, if this ultra skeptic, Jill Ron Johnson, um, had taken the helm of MUFON, um, instead it was uh, Schusler, who I at first thought was more scientifically minded, but then found out he was into a whole bunch of channeling stuff too. But um, it would have been a different MUFON um, if Johnson had... Uh, if that was ever true that he was next in line, but unfortunately he passed away suddenly, mysteriously, anomalously at an anomalies conference here in Austin, Texas. Uh, after this is the night after he had hung out with, uh, Jacques Vallée and Hal put off talking about UFOs. And then that inside connection that he was connected to as far as government stuff, perhaps was, uh, his uh, association with Hal put off. Um, but, Sadly, he keeled over in a lecture at the um, SSE conference that was happening here in Austin. Um, I never knew that. That well, I didn't even know who he was actually till this minute. Well, I think I think uh, Redfern might have written about him in the book he did about um, quote unquote mysterious deaths uh, in the UFO field. There's that nice noise again. Oh, it stopped. I think you're hearing a totally different noise than I'm hearing on this end. Like I said, I, I want to play it back for you but um anyway yeah move on um our local chapter you know was putting on we we did like a a great conference where we had carla turner ed conroy and the crop circle guy uh oh Uh, levin good uh no 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 um starts with the w maybe he was the one who was promoting the audio tape of uh jim schnabel as the snake the work the agent working for the government who's debunking crop circles uh and later remote viewing not, uh, not colin andrews not uh, no, hmm. uh much actually less notable in a lot of ways. sorry dude i know you're out there um anyway um uh, we, but the, more interestingly, uh, the local Austin MUFON chapter was doing its uh, duty as far as like holding regular training courses to train field investigators, and it, you know, the 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 main trainer locally was a guy named David Spencer who was uh, had put together an awesome uh, accoutrement to the uh, MUFON field investigator manual that was like here's. A, a manual of its own that's to tr- get you ready to take the exam and all the things that you need to know that are based off of the manual, but also that are kind of going beyond it. And uh, we, you know, got a number of field investigators trained. I was not one of them. Uh, and uh, I don't know to what degree. At least one of those people went on to lead the local group after I did, um, also became a board member of the Anomaly Archives later on. But uh, uh, Mike DeGroff uh, led... Austin MUFON 
for a time and also was one of the MUFON investigators that went up during the Stephenville flap to take in the hundreds of reports that they got from that uh, event. But yeah, so flash forward to this uh, last year and the death spiral that I was referring to. Um, It's sad, but I've come to grips with it a long time ago that this organization was not likely on a path that was ever going to take it into any kind of redemptive territory for me personally, you know, and, and being at the time, a relative newcomer to the field, you know, I was at the time, uh, fresh out of high school, the uh, youngest person in the local chapter and ultimately ended up leading it for a time, uh, as well as the local abductee support groups, uh, that were happening at the same time. But, um, I was always dissatisfied with the level of discourse uh, happening at the local meetings, and I didn't see that much support uh, from the national organization, but I also didn't see them getting in the way. So it seemed right. to me like it seemed like a decent balance for, as best I could tell, but I wasn't you know, on the inner circle or anything. Uh, but yes, over the years, there's been scandal upon scandal, and I, I hesitate to – well, I don't hesitate. I've, I will talk about all those scandals aplenty. I, yeah. Full – Full disclosure, a, a foundational – I don't know if he's foundational, but he, one of the old guard of MUFON, Tom Dooley, is a, a wonderful fellow who I've had the pleasure of knowing and meeting and benefiting from his friendship by way of him negotiating <clears throat> uh, the acquisition of the Rob Gerard collection, the Arcturus oh, yeah. Books yeah. distributor, uh, going to the Anomaly Archive. So that you know I interviewed him for Project Beta. I don't remember any references to him in the book, but I could. Uh, there's so much information in there. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. He uh, he told me that when he, NSA, right? Among others, the Navy uh, too. Um, um, he, he's always been really nice uh, with me. I guess I met him probably through just local MUFON connections, but um, uh, he was going to be one of the speakers at the National UFO Conference in 2001 mm. that didn't happen because um, of 9/11. I still feel, you know, conflicted. I mean, I've, I'm, I'm of the opinion that, as others have pointed out, there are these psychological warfare, psychological operations, military people that seem to be connected to the earliest UFO groups and MUFONs, the last surviving of the earliest UFO groups. And, yeah, NICAP uh, was riddled at the beginning. So, yeah, and... So there's and and the long rumors of it being a black hole, whether it's through incompetence or some kind of government activity, you know, have are legendary. But um, you know, I just like everything in the UFO phenomena in the Fortean uh, field. You know, take everything with gigantic grains of salt that could, you know, be called. Yeah, people keep asking me about the you know what's the government connection. I was like, I was uh, I'm just thinking about that as you're saying. That's like well. Are they provocateuring the the group into some area they shouldn't be? I think they're perfectly capable of of screwing up their own studies. But more importantly, are they vacuuming off information? Are they vacuuming off information that nobody else gets to see, which would be sort of serious? Or are they just vacuuming off information? Huh? We know Bigelow did that. Yes. And probably doing that. And so there's the corporate angle, you know, the, the nonprofit front angle for the government. Okay, sure, why not? You know, um, if if it's nonprofit, it's 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 open source to everybody, right? You know, generally speaking, um, that's not, of course, necessarily truly the the case. The, not everybody has access to every, all their files, and that's been the long running criticism. Is you right. had all I don't think, the, uh, but I don't think Bigelow was doing it to keep the truth from people. He did it because he wanted to find out himself, and he figured since he was paying for it, it was his right. 
whether yes. you agree with that or not, but I think that's what his reasoning was. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so now with the, the the death spiral changing from okay, it's it Mufon has a, a revolving door of of uh, executive directors, and at least one or more leave under circumstances that make you go, are they leaving because? they were bad PR or that they did something bad internally. You know, you had McDonald kind of not really being ousted because of the mile high club, uh, memes, but <laughs> I, I think that was probably part of it, but I think it was also just location, 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 probably the switch, the changing of it as, as it was kind of being taken under, under the wing of the, the media and the development of the hangar one, uh, reality TV angle. And that really is, was it Clarkson on your show that said that may have really been the death knell or somebody else recently commented? Yeah, well, he said that was part of it, I believe. Yeah, I think that's what it was. And he, he said basically when Harzan took over, too, because it, um, what I didn't know, and I would guess this is true I mean, from his point of view anyway, is that, the, that MUFON almost went into bankruptcy and disappeared once or twice. Right. Well, that's and that and yeah, that's so, what the fear was. So they hire somebody. It's like, well, let's get this thing back on a financial footing. But now, according to Jim and a couple other people I know, that that's that's the reason to enter it is just to make money, not to not to get it back on its feet, so it can do what it was doing before, or is trying to, or whatever. I never thought Mufon did a you know I, I was never a big fan of him anyway because I thought it was like a bunch of people trying to prove his aliens here. Well, that's I don't really care about that, but you know, good luck to them, and I'm glad they're gathering data, but. Yeah, when when Harzan came in, it was like let's save this thing before it goes down the toilet. But that the whole reason for it now, according to these few people I've talked to, is just to perpetuate itself and make money for the board of directors. That's that's their idea. And that, and that's that's kind of the nature of any organization past a certain size. It has to. I mean, and that's what I was saying about my anomaly archives. I I need to get it to a place where it's self sustaining, but you have to build in. Actually, this could uh, ethics. Again, Ethics, yeah, uh, <laughs> and anyway. and well, and an idea of where you came from and what you're still trying to do. And Clarkson actually made a good. Uh, I don't know if you listened to the interview, but yeah, yeah, no, I was just going to comment that his comment that like all the breaks, all the safeties are gone now. Yeah, and that I was like when he was saying that, I was like feeling the weight of that. Like, you know, you know. <sighs> Nonprofits struggle so hard just to get to a point where they can be self-sustaining, um, but there's always that danger. I've joked about it for a long time. I've called it. I'm sure there's somebody else's. It's not Miles Lewis's law, but you know that uh, <laughs> if you have an organization that's uh, reason detra is to is the preservation of individual liberty, um, it will necessarily, by way of it growing to the point where it can be self-sustaining, at some point go against the very yes. mission. Yeah. Of, the, of protecting the individual because it's protecting the organization. Itself, yeah. It's perpetuating itself. Yeah, well, he also said you know, the, the point he made is that I, he likened it to a company where, like, the founder has a certain idea and he wants to do something. He or she wants to provide some sort of a service and sell this service. And then eventually the founder dies and everybody that's left is just – they don't really care about what the original idea of the company is. They're, what they care about is making enough money so that they can – well, making a lot of money so that they can stay there. They don't really – you know, the, the, the product is secondary at that point. It's self-preservation, yeah. Yeah, it's self-preservation, not really what's going on with, you know, what it was called – what it was uh, named for and uh, and convened for in the first place. And he said that that's what happened. Hence, my idea that uh, big UFO groups should probably be gotten away, done away with, which I've been whining about for years. 
Yeah, and I I get you know I was just you know looking at uh, like the USPS uh, or USPA the U- United States Psychotronics Association or <laughs> not the Postal uh, Service. <laughs> No, or IANS, uh, the Institute of, I'm trying to think of IONS? all these different... You mean Institute of Noetic Sciences? No, uh, IANS, the near-death uh, one, but the, it applies... Oh, near-death studies, it, it, Institute of Near-Death Studies. Yeah, it applies to both, and like even in San Antonio, Texas, the less-known uh, MSF, Mind Science Foundation, you know, IONS yeah. and Mind Science Foundation are both two examples of organizations that were originally founded to do parapsychological oriented research but now over time they've had to really radically change their whole mission to be more like oh it's public education we're just going to have lectures where we talk about these things and you know no they still do occasionally get involved in actual science and research but that's not as much as they i think were originally intended this is what happened this had happened to move on and i don't know what happened did kufos just kind of fade out or is it still around it's still around. In fact, uh, I think it's Mark Rodiger. Is just, Rodiger still running it? Yeah. Uh, he just did an interview that was posted on uh, another organization, API, uh, Aerial Phenomena Investigations. Uh, they have a, a podcast where they do some really interesting interviews. Was one recently with him and another with uh, Alexander Went, who's one of the academics that I quoted in my essay. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, in the Leslie Kane book, to the chapter itself. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, because um, – Kufos, if people don't know, which any everybody listening to this show does, was founded by um, J. Allen Hynek, or at least uh, he was the main. Hynek. Huh? Hynek. Yes. And <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, it was just uh, the Paola Harris joke. Uh... Oh. <laughs> As a scientific research organization, but the funny thing is that a lot of people don't realize that. And I don't think I'm taking him out of context here that that Heineck didn't think that classical science was the be all end all of uh, of uh, getting to the bottom of the UFO problem. He just he became more more disenchanted with that idea as time went on as and as he talked to more people and learned more things about it and probably talked to Valet a lot. Um, he said, "Look, science is a great tool, but it's not the only one, and um, the other things need to be used." And uh, I'm pretty sure I'm not taking him out of context by saying that. Uh, well, he, he definitely seemed more open. Maybe I should have Mark O'Connell on my show and talk to him about it. You should it. absolutely have him on. Um, I was going to say, I've, I've got the book. I just haven't read it yet. Um, but uh, it it immediately, like, I immediately found something I've been wondering about to remind myself, which was that, that uh, Heineck had actually uh, gone around on behalf, part of the Air Force asking astronomers for their learned opinion on the subject of ufos so you know he was in a sense acting as a spy of sorts you know judging the the the, the intellectual climate of his uh peers yeah uh, and back to the air force but um yes he he definitely uh was entertaining a lot more speculative esoteric ideas and and definitely seems like a case of uh the pupil uh um uh, educating the master so to speak as uh, uh valet being you know, a prodigy of, of Hynix and, and yet in some ways seemingly his intellectual superior in my opinion, but, uh, um, but they both Valet definitely, you know, for all, uh, his, uh, notoriety as a scientist interested in UFOs, you know, as Jerome Clark and others have criticized Valet, he's, he's really more of a paranormalist when it comes to his ideas about the nature of the phenomena. It's just when he, 
goes into the uh, the more sociology end of it and, and uh, parapolitical end of it that that they say, well, he's no longer a paranormalist now; he's a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the the problem is that's one of the problems with the the study of this thing is that people need to put things in categories, and this does not. This is this doesn't work real well for studying the paranormal, especially UFOs. Sticking something in a category and say, and say this tool can be used to you know fix this thing. We don't have a tool that fits the UFO um, phenomena. There's nothing. There's no. There's there's not even a size difference. We don't even have the tool. So we've got a jury jury rig like fifty other tools to try and you know turn the turn the crank or whatever you want to call it and turn unloosen the bolt or whatever it is it's not even a bolt it's something we've never seen and we don't even know what the shape is so we're banging at it with all these these uh, tools that don't quite do the job so i think that's what heineck after a while was ad- advocating for i wonder if heineck ever did acid god i hope so because we do know <laughs> about uh, i bet sagan did acid because yeah, we know he well, smoked pot all the like right, constantly right. Which yeah, is like which in, is uh, in the shower, I believe. Like, like in the shower, I think there's some uh, uh, quote uh, uh, about him smoking a joint in the shower. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe I hallucinated that, but um, you know, yeah, psychedelics uh, experimentation to me has always been the obvious way of cleansing the doors of perception and better understanding the nature of that tool and mechanism that we have, our experiential tool, since, you know, we rely so heavily on witness testimony for uh, our reportage of these weird objects and events, um, since we can't seemingly get the stuff into a lab to test it and kick the tires. But uh, if we can, if we can fine tune that apparatus, that's the, the, the main tool, I think is, and, and I, I've gone from, you know, thinking uh, very highly of witness testimony to finally realizing, wow, it's, I, I've always known memory was very malleable and perception very malleable. Thus, you know, again, even before I did psychedelics, like having an active dream life, you know, convinced me that, wow, I, I can, I can experience anything. This brain has a VR machine that just does crazy shit at night. So, um, those are the I think some of the best tools that we can refine, but it's also just the the, the data analysis tools that we have now that I I, I think Valet would be the person leading the charge. Remember, instead I of, told you that horrible, <laughs> scary thing he said. Yeah, the, instead of him yelling retreat at the contact in the desert, you know, um, I, it it just I still think uh, we have the tools to because um, even if it's garbage in <laughs> as he was saying occasionally you know, somebody throws a diamond watch out in the garbage but there's there's a pattern to the garbage i this <laughs> that's a good i like that yeah <laughs> it's, you could still okay if you cast your net on the internet at any given time and pull back the words that are being uttered you can get a glimpse of the geopsyche yeah, or the zeitgeist or whatever. Yeah, there, there's there's a ghost in there. And that's what the, like the Cliff High and the WebBots guys uh, were doing before and after 9-11. And as far as I know, they're still milking that, you know, doing this, like, let's send the bots out and troll the Internet and get, you know, copy and paste everything we have into this massive server. And then let's put this tea leaf reading, eaching, uh, sounding, you know, 
algorithm uh, across the data and we'll get a snapshot that literally reads like a Quan. <laughs> you know, <laughs> weird, weird dream logic poetry that you then are but trying it's, to... Yeah, but it's derived from all that, that quote-unquote noise. Right. And I think there's something uh, similar there to what I've always envisioned for the charting the Echo of Alice uh, project idea approach to anomalous... Well, what's that? I know what you're saying, but please explain. Trying to do some advanced textual analysis in comparison of all humanity's contact narratives, whether they be religious, paranormal, or what have you, and... And, and and including the massive amounts of the multiverses created in science fiction literature and fantasy literature, um, how are we going to know what a true alien signal in the, all this noise looks like unless we have a better understanding of the signal and the noise and the, 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 the mechanism that we're using to experience these things? And the 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 textual narrative is about the easiest way we have to you know uh since of course all these before writing were just uh verbal retelling stories um is we have access to the text of these narratives and that getting back to the mufon thing so bigelow and mufon and john carpenter the head of their then abduction research program um I don't remember what year this all happened or when it all came out. But uh, again, uh, I should have mentioned, mentioned earlier, Jack Brewer, uh, who I was lucky enough to meet at the uh, recent Roswell 70th anniversary where I saw you and uh, met a lot of new, great, wonderful friends. Jack Brewer being one of those, uh, his blog, The UFO Trail, has done a yep. great job of chronicling. And he put it together in his book, uh, The Grays Have Been Framed, and he gave lectures at the uh, Guy Malone conference that y'all were uh, speaking at. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got great links to stuff on the Romanek case. Uh, just call back to that. But um, I'm, I re- just remembered wanting to mention that earlier. Um, but he's also reported on this this the, the John Carpenter affair. And I was so dismayed when I first started hearing about this. And uh, I've gone to whatever links I can to educate people in the UFO community about this because it is important, especially for experiencers um, who I do have a great concern for their uh, I, ha- I hate to say it, but what's the John Carpenter affair for people that don't know? This is the um, buying the uh, abduction uh, yeah, so data, right? Apparently Bigelow paid uh, John Carpenter and possibly other abduction researchers, but Mo- uh, Carpenter, as a MUFON representative, was coming into contact with a lot more experiencers and i can't remember the total number of abductees it could have been 40 it could have been 400 but um he got like fourteen thousand dollars for given giving these unredacted medical uh reports to somebody without the uh knowledge and consent of the patients yeah Uh, now apparently as brewer was pointing out it's very significant that that carpenter was a licensed counselor and therapist and trained in hypnotherapy. So he was, because of that licensing, able to be at least censured for this and was. But um, anyway, the, the long story short, uh, uh, Bigelow paid to get all this data um, on abductees and ran roughshod over, you know, just common, basic, ethical <laughs> standards and MUFON really kind of swept this under the carpet seemingly and 
And I understandably, you know, um, uh, when you're head of uh, the abduction research program, which would seem to be the core of the modern, you know, experiencing of what mainstream ufologists think about UFOs being uh, involved with uh, it, those basically medical private files. You know, I mean, obviously, a number of these abductees, it's argued, are public figures had spoken publicly about these experiences. But when you're working with a licensed clinical person, you know, there there are ethical standards that should be respected and um, and should be expected of people who aren't licensed, but and who probably are the more the mainstay, unfortunately, who have been often doing this, like uh, David Jacobs and H- Bud Hopkins and others, um, who've been at the forefront of the abduction research. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Community. Yes. Cough, cough. No, that was a real cough. I, I know. But anyway, um, so, yeah, the Carpenter Affair is just one of the other uh, long history. And I mentioned the revolving door of McDonald and then James Carrion, you know, who actually I had a great high hopes for because he was a younger guy. Yeah, coming me too. In. Yeah, he was on my show, and I, I, I remember being continually amazed the things he was saying. And he he really was of the opinion and is continuing to research the angle that uh, you, the modern UFO era mostly represents um, a, a – a variety of covert operations designed for various other ends that have nothing to do with extraterrestrials. What a lot of people kind of, what a lot of the gist of, of one part of my essay was about just this idea that, you know, human organizations are going to use uh, what they know about the nature of the UFO phenomena and people's beliefs in such phenomena and even right. imitating a phenomena for their own ends, mm-hmm. uh, own political uh, machinations and agendas and Intel operations that, likely have nothing to do with uh, alien others or the true UFO phenomena. You know, I hear that uh, MUFON's secret space program conference, which is why Robert Powell and Clarkson, well, Clarkson left, was leaving because of... Yeah, and Rich uh, Hoffman. And yeah, and others, and others. I, there, there's a list of others that I uh, had come across and that like, uh, some of our friends had uh, made me aware of um, that were quitting left and right and um, first over the Ventria, Ventria uh, debacle, and um, and then more recently, just dissension in the ranks of the more scientifically minded. Yeah, or at least people that don't want to put don't want to be associated with people that have uh, like keynote speakers such as um, Corey Good, David Wilcock, and Andrew Andrew Basiago. So or Sala or uh, yes. Yeah, the, yeah, it's it's it is crazy. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not surprised if they had record attendance. And this gets to, you know, well, that's I, that's so that people the, the people that we admire can go off and do um, continue to do uh, important, interesting, and possibly groundbreaking work where they are not constrained anymore. I just wish there was a more level-headed, mainstream alternative. I mean, again, no. I, maybe there will be, but uh, I ain't joining it. But it's like the uh, the Society for Scientific Exploration. That's to me, you know. I mean, and no, none of these groups are perfect. And Kufos is still around, and yeah, and yeah. Really doing much. But well, maybe they should it. take the baton and and run with it. See if they can get uh, people to come back to Kufos. And uh, but the thing is, I you know they're small because they don't really have any money or membership or anything right now. You know, none of. The the group that succeeds will be the one will be likely the one that uh, utilizes the emerging social media and uh, right, related right. technologies to to the 
nth degree, and hopefully not the sensationalistic aspect of social media in terms of you know the Twitter sphere. But um, all of these things are tools that can be used to do amazing things. I mentioned earlier uh, Ray Stanford and his Austin-based PSI Project Starlight International, which I often describe to people as the seemingly most scientific instrumented effort by a civilian UFO group to record and possibly interact with the phenomena at the local level across a small, you know, central Texas uh, geographical region. They had set up, you know, a variety of tech that may or may not have been more or less for show, but that, that allegedly could included radar and lasers and magnetometers and had a, a software system that allegedly could, when it detected anomalies and quote, yeah, it would quote, turn on all these instruments. It would turn on the instruments, but it also would activate a, a computer with a phone tree that would send an automated phone call to somebody in the vicinity of wherever the, was happening. Yeah. And wow, take that same concept and put it on with the, the technology that we have yeah. now. In you could have somebody sitting right next to whatever it is if you're yeah. out lucky. So, um, you know, and there's this, uh, you mentioned Brodiger. Um, he and others are taking part in this new Kickstarter uh, fundraiser that's for it's called UFO Data. It's it seems to be something akin to that. Um, and then you've had you know uh, Trumbull, the the cinematographer, special effects guy. Yeah, they who, talked about this at uh, Congress last uh, year before uh, this uh, in 2016. He you know was outfitting some Hummer with you know this badass uh, uh, equipment to get the best imagery and, and data. You know, there's, there are these efforts and there's such potential there. Um, and that's what networks and technology. I mean, I think about like the earliest, I think MUFON, I forget the details, but I have this sense that wasn't MUFON's earliest. They've always had a ham radio aspect to like, there was always a section in the journal as far as back. Right. Right. Think. Yeah. And, and ham radio was one of these, early internet internet yeah it was, it was a vocal way it was like skyping and you know audio chat you know mm-hmm. uh you know for for you newfangled youngsters that don't know what i'm talking about these radio waves they're going through you right now who knows what they're doing to you? <laughs> scrambling that, up your brains if you got funny. any it's a microwave you're holding up to your head uh anyway so um um, uh, yeah, it just reminds me of the, the early origins of some of the uh, networked aspects. And I think there was the, the effort of like the early and getting back to even the paranoid, uh, you know, um, civilian air corps kind of watching the skies for those Jap invaders and, you know, yeah. those military spotter plane experts, you know. Birders, they're, they're, they're our friends. They could be helping us get great <laughs> FO data. Yeah, there could be. They, yeah, but the thing is, maybe there, maybe there's a new computer new UFO network on the on on the horizon. Who knows what it's going to be? Well, and, that's just you know, I'll I'll sign up to I'll sign up to be sitting there if something happens. I'll go out and look. Sure, you know, I'll even I'll even kick in twenty bucks of you know a year or a month or whatever the hell just to help out. That, that would be interesting to me. It's not my yeah. main area of focus, but I, I would love to be part of the crowdsource for that. <laughs> right on. Because uh, stuff seems to not happen around me. The the fact that it that I mean, it might be part of some network, at least you would know when there was something was happening. Because yeah, there ought to be a goddamn app on your phone that says UFO sighting five minutes away from you right now. 
Well, yeah, and I I feel like there's been a couple apps like that of a variety or another, but uh, there because there was there was already uh, the UFO maps website, and I'm sure yeah. they all you have to do is like hit 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 now, and the and your GPS and all that'll say where you are, what the time is, and all that, and anybody else that's in the area can look at the same time or get instruments on or whatever and see what kind of data can be pulled out. I I don't have a lot of hope that anything useful happened in the in the particulars or in the in the short term but in the long term yes yeah one more uh mufon related science thing you know the most scientific project i've ever heard them attempting uh was connected to tom dooley and i've talked to him about this and i i i've talked to powell and others about where this project stands and it's like so many of their projects sometimes uh, hard to find a definitive answer or explanation but um, back in the 90s, uh, MUFON uh, got this idea of doing a, a black box project where they had what they called AMP, Abductee Monitoring Project. It was a black box that filled oh, with I remember this. as much instrumented uh, data collecting mechanisms they could cram into this, you know, smaller than a bread box kind of thing uh, that could be installed in the bedrooms next to abductee experiencers that were having regular ongoing experiences allegedly mm-hmm. and it was going to be there to hopefully seemingly maybe provide some environmental data that could confirm or deny any uh, connection to their reported self-reported uh, memories or experiences um, a great idea you know it's fraught with difficulties like any scientific experiment but um, it was a, a it seemed like a really good idea right I, I knew people claimed abductees who claimed that they had set up you know video cameras in their bedroom and gotten very strange results i never actually saw these so i can't vouch for any of them uh and have every reason to doubt some of them but um th- this seems like a to make a, a, a lot of sense and would generate a lot of data that could be analyzed scientifically and statistically and that's where we stand is they collected a lot of data but they've never published the findings and it's my understanding that part of the uh, hesitancy is allegedly that they didn't see a wow signal. There was nothing that was so glaringly obvious in a quick review of the data. But um, I'll just say that I have approached them on behalf of various local nonprofits to see about funding the statistical analysis of the data, and nothing came of it. And I've heard that that's was the main stumbling block was just spent finding the money and the st- statisticians to do the analysis and i'm like that's that shouldn't take you years but then you know i don't know I've, i work in government and i work in nonprofits, shit, and yeah. things shit takes years <laughs> so yeah. but um it, it's it's one of those even if there is no wow signal to make it science publish that you know to to be able to say hey, this is our experiment here it is, and then others can try to replicate it or, you know, uh, review it uh, and and critique it and um, try to design a better mousetrap, you know. Um, but, you know, is there anything more sinister there? Was any of that data given or sold to uh, Bigelow? I don't know. Well, as long as the uh, it, none of it's covered up, I don't care if there's a pipe going off to Bigelow or the government or any anything like that. As long as it's not filtering it away from the rest of us uh, from open source. Right. Well, and that's I, uh, that's what I was starting to mention earlier is that there were I I pretty sure that when Bigelow was working directly with Mufon, and this may have been during Carrion's uh, tenure, but I uh, getting back to 
Carrion, I, I think I've heard versions of the stories that basically seem to implicate they just used him as a scapegoat, that there was really some bad management going on internally. And he oh, didn't yeah, like- people have told me that. Too. I, I, MUFON people have told me they don't really have that much ill will towards Bigelow specifically. Well, so at some point with Bigelow, the, with the star teams, they were getting the better cases, you know, the right. more interesting ones. And that kind of makes sense that you're going to send your, you know, specially funded team to investigate the most interesting cases. It just happens that the funding for that team is coming from somebody who wants first access. Right. And, so, and then there were the stories that I believe Clarkson was saying that he was encountering witnesses that were being told by somebody not to even communicate with MUFON and that these, the people being told that were saying this were saying it on behalf of representation of Bigelow. Wasn't, wasn't that in your interview with him? Uh, with Clarkson? Yeah. Uh, can you repeat what you said? Sorry. Uh, that, that, that he was encountering people at, uh, sightings that he was investigating on oh behalf. yeah yeah he'd get there and they'd say uh, some people already came from the organization they told us not to talk to anybody else yeah so yeah that would be that that would fall under the rubric of um if you're not in a partnership i suppose that's fine but they supposedly were in a partnership i don't know the particulars of that partnership yeah um and there again there was kind of this disconnect between you know the the specifics of the inner workings of this national organization, um, you know it's it just it's been really interesting. I'm sure somebody could write a really interesting history uh, on on MUFON. It's certainly been around long enough to warrant uh, its own tome. Uh, but yeah, you know, and it 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 seems like it's going through a metamorphosis right now uh, into something that is unfortunately I don't think going to be anything better than it ever was and probably significantly worse in terms of yeah just catering to the lowest common denominator i think i want to say something about the the uh, message i sent you earlier today i think there did you remember what i said about the, there should be a kickstarter for somebody to yeah. <laughs> i don't think that what my what i wrote to miles was that i think there should be a kickstarter to give somebody five thousand dollars so they can join the inner circle <laughs> <laughs> somebody, I, somebody I, that you would, that was yeah. not going to tow the company line, just to see what was going on there, talk to people, figure out what was going on, and report on it. it but I guess, yeah, democracy go ahead. in action. You know, you you have somebody uh, paid by lobbyists to go and represent them. <laughs> right, <laughs> you exactly. Know? You know what would uh, happen to that person? That person would be shut out of everything. Well, and see, that's just it. I don't really. I have. I've seen no indication that Ramtha is at the helm of of Mufon. On the other hand, it's problematic to have such controversial people publicly listed as having given you money. Yeah. Well, it's. I, I said you say you've seen no evidence, but the thing is, it's just part of that whole pattern of let's let crazy people with lots of money dictate what's going on here. Yeah, let's let the money dictate. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Or, or crazy people that that bring in money. If it bleeds, it leads. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that's enough complaining about Mufon. Do you? Uh, uh, unless there's something else you wanted to ask me or bring up. If not, it's uh, it's uh, it's time to pick the music. Oh, ah, I meant to think about this earlier. Um, this is what editing's for. Take take as long as you like, sir. Oh well, if is there anything that's been rattling around in your brain that's like 
pop cultural. Like I posted to your uh, to to the Radio Mysterioso group that was the Turkish version of Thriller. Is there yeah. anything like that that's been rattling around your brain? Because you introduced me to so much great weird music, I I, I can almost always get some joy or glee out of some rare gem that you just find fascinating that I'm may or may not myself, but, uh, Oh, now you're throwing it back at me, huh? Yeah. Okay. So how, I don't know what's been rattling around my brain, but go, go. And it had nothing. What has been, it's just been like old music from the seventies. Um, when I was a kid, I think I'm entering like my, like I'm turning into an old person and all these, all these memories are downloading now. It's just like, I remember when, you know what, when goodbye, yellow brick road came out. Um, (laughs) You know, I still listen to you know Fear and and the and and the Ramones and all that stuff, but okay. I, I also listen to all this old like stupid stuff that most people would say. God, damn. most people that are friends of mine would it would be totally uncool. Um, UFO wise, it's uh, it's a different story. Go ahead. What? Yeah. Well, there's just there's so many potential songs, but um, I've been listening to the Fibonacci's a lot. They have a UFO song, but go ahead and pick. Oh. I, I don't know the name of uh, there was a there was a little forty five that I had uh, as a child that was the that infamous on one side it was played forward and on the other side it was played backwards and it was the they're coming to take you away haha they're coming to take me away oh Napoleon the fourteenth okay that's yes I don't know it's one of those I wouldn't know, have known the name of that unless he wrote a UFO book. <laughs> I actually have a recording of him talking to some, like, radio show. It's like, really? oh, this is Napoleon the Fourteenth, And you can tell he's just like, what am I even... I think it was either for... Stu- it might have been the Armed Forces, which is even stranger. Yeah. Wait, let me see if I have that so I can play that first, because it's so surreal just to hear it. Yeah. So I, yeah, I would play the, the, the reverse side uh, as a kid. That was my first... Uh, orientation to uh, backwards masking. Hey, they actually provided the backwards version. I could just play it and not ruin my needle. Yeah. <laughs> just that introduction to weird... I think Dr. Demento actually played the backwards version more than once when he used to be on here in L.A. on the, on the radio. I guess he was syndicated. But, yeah, yeah. And that's subversive audio, man. Yeah. Actually, there's, this is three minutes. Do you, do you want to hear this weird interview with Napoleon Fourteenth? He sounds really bored. <laughs> no, that's okay. No, okay. Well, I'll play it some other time. But um, I have I have a whole bunch of answer ones to that too. Let me see. Hey, come and take my brother away. The men in white picked him up yesterday, but they'll never come take me away because I'm okay. I'm normal. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Awesome. That's uh, great. I think this one is in, um, uh, what is this, Swedish? It's a woman. Nope, it's a guy. Okay, that's not Swedish. What is that? I don't know. The background on that original record also were just so spooky and, and trippy. Um, yeah, well, it's kind of scary, actually. Very. Like, the idea of being institutionalized has never been pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
Don't let them come and take me back. Oh, no, oh, no, no. I plead with you, don't let them take me back. <laughs> I like it here on the funny farm. I've got my new white suit that has no belt but buckles in the back. Well, I've got all kinds of Napoleon the Fourteenth answer songs, <laughs> but we'll play the original. I, I never would have thought that was a genre. So, it's yeah. a it's a weird subgenre. Yep. Oh, uh, Spanish. So, I like looking up dubstep versions of stuff just to. You Sin embargo, tú te fuiste y los días no pasaban más. Y así yo ya he perdido la razón. Here in Spanish. Ellos me quieren llevar. Ellos me quieren llevar. A un bonito lugar divertido y gris donde estos muchachos vestidos de blanco estarán día y noche y seremos felices y daremos saltitos y por eso me... You need to compile all the mad laughter from all those different language versions. Yes. <laughs> that would be perfect. All right, here's here's the original, Napoleon the Fourteenth, where they're coming to take me away. Ha ha! Thank you, Miles, for being on the show. You're and welcome, um, it's such short notice too, because I was like, maybe I should do a show today. Miles, can you do it? Um, and it worked out great. Hmm. Glad to be here. Thank you. All right, here's Napoleon the Fourteenth, and I'll talk to you soon, Miles. Um, particularly before I they come to take me away to Canada in a couple of weeks here. Right on, man. Go see. Say hi to Paul for me. All right. Thanks. Remember when you ran away and hopped my knees and begged you not to leave because I go berserk? Well, you left me anyhow, and then the days got worse and worse, and now you see I've gone completely out of my mind. And... They're coming to take me away, ha-ha, they're coming to take me away, ho-ho, hee-hee, ha-ha, to the funny farm where life is beautiful all the time, and I'll be happy to see those nice young men in their clean white coats, and they're coming to take me away, ha-ha! You thought it was a joke, and so you laughed, you laughed when I had said that losing you would make me flip my lid. Right? right? You know you laughed. I heard you laugh. You laughed, you laughed, and laughed, and then you left. But now you know I'm utterly mad. And they're coming to take me away, ha-ha. They're coming to take me away, ho-ho, hee-hee, ha-ha. To the happy home with trees and flowers and chirping birds and basket weavers who sit and smile and twiddle their thumbs and toes and they're coming to take me away. I cooked your food, I cleaned your house, and this is how you pay me back for all my kind, unselfish, loving deeds. Ha! <laughs> well, you just wait, they'll find you yet, and when they do, they'll put you in the ASPCA, you mangy mutt. And they're coming to take me away, ha-ha, they're coming to take me away, ho-ho, hee-hee, ha-ha, to the funny farm where life is beautiful all the time, and I'll be happy to see those nice young men in their clean white coats, and they're coming to take me away, ha-ha, to the happy home with trees and flowers and chirping birds and basket weavers who sit and smile and twiddle their thumbs and toes.